Welcome to another episode of Money You Should Ask. I'm your host, Bob Wheeler, and in this episode, we're going to explore, question, examine, converse, dig deep, expose, laugh, and cry about the money beliefs, money blocks, and life challenges of our next guest. Turn up the volume, listen, learn, and laugh. Good news, bad news. Bad news first. Growth comes from learning, which is a lifelong endeavor. Good news. Growth comes from learning, which is a lifelong endeavor. At the Money Nerve Academy, we hold space to explore, navigate, discover, and heal your relationship with money. With our online course, Mastering the Emotions of Money, you can get in touch with your fears, blocks, and beliefs around money so that you can become more aware of your current financial story. By understanding why you do what you do with your money, you can create a different ending to your financial story than the one currently taking place. Check out themoneynerve.com and start mastering your emotions of money. Hi, I'm Bob Wheeler, Money You Should Ask. In this week's episode, we experienced some technical difficulties, but uh, here's our episode with Ahmed Ahmed. So today, we've got this great guest, originally from Egypt, maybe a month from Egypt, uh, the rest of it from Riverside. We have with us Egyptian-American actor Ahmed Ahmed. He's an actor, comedian, producer, director. He's one of the most diverse, multifaceted talents in the industry today, born in Helwan, Egypt. I think I got that right. Uh, He was raised in Riverside, California. He immigrated over here when he was one month old. At 19, he made the move to LA to pursue a career in entertainment and attended the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. His first big break was in the suspense action film, Executive Decision, along with Kurt Russell, Steven Seagal, and Halle Berry. He's also been in Swingers, Iron Man, and Don't Mess with the Zohan. For TV, he's done shows such as Sullivan and Son, Tracy Takes On, Weeds, and Roseanne, to name a few. He was handpicked by Vince Vaughn for his Wild West comedy tour. He co-founded and performed the Axis of Evil comedy tour, which aired on Comedy Central as the first Middle Eastern stand-up comedy special. He's also the winner of the first Richard Pryor Award for Ethnic Comedy at the Edinburgh Comedy Festival in Scotland. He's a regular performer at L.A. and New York clubs. And he tours nationally and internationally. He's also been the host for Comedy Central's Asia's comedy series, Stand Up Asia. And he recorded a comedy special on Kevin Hart's LOL Network in Just for Laughs. Ahmed Ahmed, great to have you. It's been a while. What's up, Bob? Thank you. Good to see you. It's good to see you. So you you spent a month in (laughs) Egypt. And then uh, did you make the decision at one month or did your parents make the decision to bring you over? You know, it was like a Lion King moment. Okay. Because um, I was born the day my dad got his immigration papers. So he came into the hospital room, you know, papers in hand. We're going to America. He put me up in the sky. A bunch of African dancers came out, you know, and we, like, coming to America. We, by the way, thank you for the nice intro. I was like, wow, you know, I, I should be winning an award or something. Lifetime achievement is what you said earlier? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We're, that's right. We're getting ready. Golden Globes, big presentation. Um, yeah, so, uh, so yeah, my parents immigrated to the U S when I was about a month and a half old from Mm -hmm. what they tell me. Um, we grew up in Riverside, California, had a pretty normal, you know, childhood outside of the household, but inside the household was, you know, you know, my parents were from like the farm village of outskirts of Cairo. So it was very third world. Yeah. So imagine, you know, this young Egyptian couple with, you know, myself and my older sister, they're, you know, they're two young children, you know, don't speak English very well. 
my dad pumped gas at a Shell gas station for a dollar seventy five an hour. Wow. My mom worked. Yeah, my mom worked at like Taco Bell. Like it was that kind of party, you know. And hey. um, and then they just, you know, they just lived the American dream. They worked their way up, um, and and ended up having six children. I have four sisters and a and a brother. Wow. I always would used to like reflect on what what it would what would what would have had been like if my dad never immigrated to the U.S. and I stayed in Egypt, like what would I be doing there? Mm-hmm. Would I be a stand-up comic there? You know, would I be like, I don't know, the taxi driver, engineer, restaurant tour, who knows? So, uh, yeah, it's interesting that I kind of landed, you know, in America and the seed was planted and, you know, the rest is, is history. Yeah. And I've, now I've, have you gone back to Egypt a few times or, uh, I have. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've been back. Well, I went back a couple times really young, um, like, you know, five years old was the first time I remember. And then, uh, a couple times after that. And then I went back again in my twenties and then I didn't go back again for until my thirties. Okay. When I went back in my thirties, I, I actually took, we were doing stand-up comedy shows there. The Middle East had opened up to Western stand-up comedy after the Axis of Evil comedy tour was a big hit over there. Cool. And so a lot of American comics would go over there. So I, I would go back to the Middle East and we would go through Egypt quite a bit. So it gave me a reason to go visit, you know, my family. And I made a documentary about it. Actually, it's on YouTube. If you go to cross-cultural productions um, on YouTube, that's our channel. The movie's called Just Like Us. You can watch it for free. But <clears throat> we go through the Middle East and I take you through my hometown, like where I was born, the village. and Oh, wow. Um, it's a real kind of sweet moment, yeah, in the, in the documentary. That's cool. And you you directed that as well, correct? I did. It was it was my direct directorial debut. I took a lot of the still photos that are like in the movie and photoscoped. Um, I took. I narrated it. Uh, <laughs> I was the kind of you know there was like the one man two show of us really that worked. Yeah, I mean, I trust me. I had help. Yeah, but. It wasn't, it wasn't like a big budget thing. And I had, you know, a producer basically kind of helped me see it through. And, um, and a great music composer, Omar Fadl, mm-hmm. who actually scored so funny. He just scored a movie called uh, Breaking Fast. Okay. And it's about this uh, gay couple. One of the guys is Muslim. Okay. And his, like, it's like it's coming out you know, party as a Muslim, gay Muslim guy. And, you know, I just think it's so cool how, how these boundaries are being broken. Yeah. That were so taboo, you know, 20 years ago, even longer, but most recently, not you know, 10 years ago, you, you know, you could never do that. Yeah, I don't think um, that would be a fun, uh, a fun moment. <laughs> right. As the person with, hey, mom the, the and dad, guess good. what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the movie looks pretty good this 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 like this this arab muslim guy falls in love with this like real white you know like kind of i think sort of privileged kind of guy well-to-do guy handsome wait are you saying white guys are privileged (laughs) most of you most of you are bob and you know it i do know it (laughs) you guys (laughs) guys are keeping the the brown man down well you know not me but many of my uh brethren I, hear you. I wish I was white. I feel like I'm white because I make my bed. There you go. There you go. White people make you guys make your beds. We make Google our it. beds. 
or we're beaten, but we make them. Um, were your parents excited when you said, I'm going to go to L.A. and become a mogul in the entertainment industry? Um, no, they were not. And thank you for that word. I have never been called that. So thank oh. you for I don't know. It, it, it's, I don't think it really worked out because I'm living in a studio apartment in Venice Beach. But um, no. <laughs> uh, um, thanks, man. That was, that was kind of you to say. I, I, I do kind of pride myself on, you know, just thinking outside of the box and trying new things and experimenting different types of not only comedy, but like producing. Like I'm a better producer than I am comic and i think most people would agree to that um and i'm not i'm not saying like i'm not a i'm not a bad comic i can hold my own on stage yeah i can hold my own with the best of them you know they're at the comedy store you know any given night you're going in between you know andrew dice clay and whoever fucking uh you know joe rogan or whatever and you know then you have to kind of scissor your material in between that yeah but um I, you know, and I got my chops at the comedy store, so I feel like I, you know, as a comic, you know, I feel comfortable in that zone. But I yeah. feel like I can really drive the car a lot faster as a producer. Yeah. Like, if I just take myself out of everything mm-hmm. and then just set up the whole circus and then keep it going. And then once the circus is going, then I can enter back in at my own leisure. And because, you know... Being a comic and a producer, it's two different brain yeah. waves and bandwidths. Absolutely. And so when I when I'm when I'm producing something, I don't feel funny. I funny at all when I'm producing. But if somebody books me for something, <clears throat> when I would go to the comedy studio, Yemex will feel this. You know, that was my 15 minutes every night to go right. up on stage and be free. Right. I don't have to produce the show. I get I get to walk in as a paid regular. You know. Because of you know Mitzi Shore who yep. who gave me the blessing and knighted me really and and so I was fortunate enough to have that at my you know leisure thankfully yeah. enough. Yeah. Um, but the but the producing thing is for me, I think where I will continue to excel at better. Yeah. So we'll see. That's and so I think the money's the the, the money's in producing too. So let's there is that. money in producing usually. <laughs> <laughs> so when you made the move um, and you got to L.A., um, what are some of the – I would imagine there are a few obstacles being Egyptian-born or being a person of color and trying to get into the industry and not just be terrorist number two um, at auditions. I don't no, know if that was number true. Four, number, number four. four. Oh, you were number, number four. four. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let's get it. Let's get hey, it. You're right. still in Let's the top right. five. You're four. still in the top five, and that's you got to look for the silver lining. <laughs> Did your uh, you know what? There, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. You were going to say to my well, parents. I was going to ask. Did um, well, I was going to sort of change the subject and ask. Did your parents? What did your parents talk to you about as a kid? Like, did they say go out and follow your dreams, or do exactly this so you can make money? Did they talk about money? What did what What was your childhood um, yeah, like about a l- that? A little, a little bit. So let me let me answer the the first part of the question. Um, the, you know, dealing with stereotypes in Hollywood and my being ethnic and having the name Ahmed Ahmed and brown skin and all that stuff you mentioned. Yes, 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 and yes, and it still continues. It hasn't died. You know, it's, it's, it, at some in some cases it's it, it's a little worse even. Yeah. But um, 
you know, I used to come from the school of if if they're going to cast a movie for with a bunch of, you know, and the, and the storyline is, you know, there's 10 Arab terrorists <clears throat> and it's a big, you know, blockbuster payday kind of movie. If I don't take that part, they're going to give it to a Mexican guy. Right. <laughs> so I might as well fucking take it. And I'm an actor just playing a character. Like, right. you know, Italians don't get mad at Robert De Niro for playing Italian gangsters in movies. Right. They just don't. Right. They enjoy watching it. Hey, you know, yeah, you know. In, in, in Arabs and Muslims, they're, you know, they're offended. That, you know, it's just like, look. I'm gonna. I'm writing a movie about a terrorist, a gay terrorist who comes out of the closet, moves to America, and becomes a famous yoga instructor. Like I want to, you know, get the yeah. whole spectrum going with that, you know, because then you have like, is he, you know, a terrorist? You know, is he not a terrorist? Can he help the world through yoga? And there's a really nice storyline happening there. <laughs> hey, I think it's great. I'd love to see a movie where uh, maybe I'll get in trouble, but I'd love to see it where you know all the. All the white folks are being the servants, and uh, everybody else of color is like yeah. in some places of power. Yeah. And, hey, hey, white boy. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. I think there was a movie like that. Was there? No, 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 no. But yeah, but 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 the but the stereotype continues, and it's been you know I actually took a break from my agency for a while because I just wasn't booking anything, and mm-hmm. I didn't feel excited about putting myself on tape, you know, a couple times a week and memorizing five pages of dialogue and getting a camera and getting a friend to do it or going to pay somebody professionally. That's a hundred bucks. You know, it's like, it ends up adding up. And if you're not booking stuff, it's like, let me just put the snooze button on this for a second. Yeah. Um, So I think moving forward, like, and you know, a lot of people, it's not like anything new, but you kind of have to write your own ticket in our industry. You have to write your own script screenplay or book or TV show, position yourself with the right agency or manager or producer, whoever you know, and hopefully the stars align. And, you know, and oftentimes too, Bob, and you know this, sometimes it's not even that strategic or, or, you know, uh, uh, symbiotic. Sometimes it's just the producer saying, Hey, my friend, you know, just wrote the script, greenlight it. Yeah. You know, and hang out. You know, that's like that simple. It is you know, that you simple. Want to, you want to greenlight somebody or 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 make, make somebody's career go away? You know, it can be done with the phone call. And I think that's the that's that's the risk in this town is that you know, fortunately it's it's shifting a little bit more now because of this what we're doing and social media and online and different streaming platforms right. and YouTube and Facebook. Like right now, bro, it's the wild west. It is. And I think like, I think agents and managers are going to be obsolete relatively soon. Yeah. Uh, people are just going to hire secretaries and assistants and producers or lawyers just to, you know, help sift through their, you know, internal production they got going on. Like yeah. what you're doing. So it's like, you don't, you're not going to need at some point down the road, <clears throat> the middleman. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing because they've, they've been jamming me up for the last 20 years, my man. No, totally. And I, th- I mean, even now when they're casting people, they'll look and see what kind of followers people have. Are they an influencer? What are they going to bring to the yeah. table? Right. Um, it's a whole different, right. whole different ball game. So growing up, let me ask you and, this. And yeah. 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 So to answer, to answer your question about my parents and money, you know, my mom was always, um, 
my parents, they were pretty frugal people. My dad obviously was in the beginning because he just, you know, was scraping pennies. Yeah. But once he, like, I think he bought into the gas station he was pumping gas at at one point and became, like, 50% owner. And nice. then he started making a little bit of money. Um, and then I remember, and I do remember this very specifically, you know, he bought a Mercedes Benz. He started drinking. You know, he started living that, like, you know, I'm making money kind of life. And my mom, I made it in America. Right. You know, smoking, you know, having, and my mom wasn't like that at all. She never drank. My mom's never had a sip of alcohol in her life. Hmm. Uh, And she, I can't remember what year it was exactly, but I think it was me and my sister. It was like three, and we were like, it was like early seventies, mid seven, maybe mid, mid late seventies. And, um, yeah, he, he had an incident where he fell down um, at a wedding because he had too much to drink. Oh, no. And, that, and then that was it. He stopped drinking after that. Oh, all right. Well, he learned. <laughs> he learned. Yeah, it was a whole thing. I remember, like, you know, it was like a dramatic moment as a nine year I was nine years old. I remember, like, my dad, like, you know, stumbling around. And my mom, you know, ran us, go, go get your dad. You know, he's about to fall down. And I went over to like grab my dad. He was like, leave me alone. You know, just, <laughs> he kind of pushed me off to the side. And I was like, ah! and then he fell and we had to like get him in the car. And he, it was a whole thing. And it's like, you know, people make mistakes and, and I get it. Um, my dad was always good at, you know, making money and, you know, I don't, I wouldn't say necessarily saving it because he, uh, he just had so many kids to take care of. I yeah. think, you know, there are six of us. Yeah. And my mom was, ended up being kind of just like the house mom, you know, for a while yeah. until my older sister and I got old enough to where we were taking care of the younger siblings. Yeah. Um, my mom always found a way to like make like money on the side, doing like side jobs, like weird side. I can't even like catering. Like somebody would say, can you cater my, family dinner or something like that. Or she would, um, she would like do like translation for Arabs who couldn't speak English in the court when they had like, a court case, my mom would be the, the translator. Oh, wow. Her English was, her English was good enough yeah. to where she could, you know, um, you know, she took side jobs at, you know, fast food restaurants and shit like that. She wasn't ashamed, you know, to yeah. put, put bread on the table. And, and that it was funny too. Cause I remember, a friend of mine went to one of these fast food restaurants that I went to high school with. And this was when I was like a sophomore in high school. So I was like just going through puberty and acne and voice was changing and trying to, you know, fit in. Yep. And one of the popular kids came up to me. He's like, Hey, man, uh, I saw your mom at uh, Taco Bell. And I was like, Oh yeah. You know, I was like, I got nervous. Cause I was like, Oh shit. He caught my, you know, my mom yeah. was embarrassed. I was like, Oh yeah. You know, she's probably just picking up some, uh, some tacos and stuff for the, for the family and whatever. She, he was like, no, she was behind the counter. <laughs> <laughs> I go, she was behind the counter. There's no way I, maybe you're mistaken her. He's like, no dude, it was your mom. We, we said, hi, she, we know each other. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> So my mom gets home from work that night and she worked like you know, a 12 hour shift or whatever. She's got grease on her and all this shit. 
And I said, Mom, you got to quit your job. <laughs> she goes, what? I said, Randy, Randy said he saw you at Taco Bell, you know, working behind the counter. Now all the kids at school know, and it's embarrassing. And she's like, tell Randy to fuck off. <laughs> I'm not quitting my job because you're friends. Like, she was like insulted, like, screw them. Good for her. But she always had a way. Yeah, she was, my mom's, you know, I, I don't, nobody's perfect in life, but she's super, super damn close. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> She uh, she always had a way of like saving money. She always just would put money away. Mm-hmm. She would hide it in different places in her room. She would always she'd always, like have some money in her bra for some reason, mm-hmm. like at all times. You know, she'd just reach in her bra and pull out like twenty bucks or whatever. And then she had like, you know, and my dad he was more like make this much money, pay the electric bill. Here's money for the groceries. He was kind of more methodical. And once he went past his, like, you know, spending days, you know, this is when I'm kind of cruising into high school. We went through a very economic kind of collapse, our family. Yeah. Um, And I don't remember what happened exactly. My parents bought a restaurant that failed. uh, Middle Eastern food restaurant. And it closed down. Uh, about five years in, but then two years after that, like falafel stands popped up. It was Everywhere. like the cool thing to eat. <laughs> yeah. We, I think my parents just, the timing was off. Um, so that was kind of a money pit and then ended up breaking even for them thing. And then he owned an automotive shop. He's a self-taught uh, mechanic, my dad. Yeah. So he was like the town mechanic. He had a shop. He had a shop called Baker's automotive. Abu Baker was his, is his name. Ah, And uh, so he was the town mechanic and people would go to him and he was always honest with his work and that kind of thing. But with money, he had a couple opportunities to go into business with, with, you know, some people and, you know, maybe do very well for himself, but he chose not to for some reason. So he's always been kind of like, and I, I don't say this to discredit my father. He did a great job bringing, you know, his little family to America and, you know, raising six of us as well as he could. And under the circumstances he had, and I'm not belittling any of his achievements or compliment or uh, accomplishments, but he was never like a shark or a tycoon when it came to like the idea of making money. Yeah. He wanted, he just wanted to be steady. Yeah. Well, do you think, so I, do you think, um, for me, it feels like that folks that immigrate to the U.S. don't come in entitled and they really look for every kind of opportunity to make a better life. Like they come in with an intention of I came here for a reason, um, mm-hmm. not taking anything for granted. Nobody's given me anything. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm starting from uh, the bottom up. Yeah. I mean, they're starting from scratch, which the, my dad literally did. You know, my parents come from the two biggest families in Helwan, Egypt, where I was born. Um, And they just met. They had my sister. They had me. We immigrated. You know, my dad, I think, was the... uh, He used to, like, be the head of, like, a cement company or some shit like that. I can't remember. But he served in the Egyptian military and, you know, went to university. He was a very sort of well-to-do, astute kind of you know, progressive guy, wore yeah. a suit, you know, smoke cigarette, like real classy guy. Yeah. And then, um, 
he got to America and, you know, here he is like pumping gas for $1.75 an hour starting from scratch. Starting so, all over. You know, and, and we did. Our, our childhood was very, you know, I wouldn't say, I mean, we lived in a pretty nice, like middle class home. You know, my parents bought that for $30,000, I think, like for 40 years ago. Yeah. Almost 50 years ago. You know, and I think now it's worth half a million dollars. It's so weird. I know. But um, yeah. Uh, but with money, it was just sort of like, you know, pay your bills, you know, uh, don't spend, you know, too crazy. My parents were always pretty frugal, you know, uh, <clears throat> save your money. Don't spend it on things you don't need. Buy a house. That was my parents' thing. No, you got to buy a house. Got to buy a house. You know, when you buy a house, that means that's when you, that's when you, you've made it. You know, you've that's arrived. when you've, you've you arrived. know, you've arrived. But as far as like, where my head moving forward when I was a child, and I used to watch movies and these TV shows and you know magazine article and things that inspired me as a young Westernized you know Egyptian kid. Um, I was more inspired by not only the American dream, but the financial wealth and freedom you can achieve if you really just put your mind to it. Yeah. And at times I have, and I've done very well, knock on wood. And at times I lost focus, which is easy to do and you derail and then it's hard to get back on the train. So, um, yeah, you know, with me financially, some of their influence and like teachings with money and of money, um, I have applied and have affected me and some not. Yeah. What about you? Oh, well, you know, my t- parents were terrible with money. <laughs> um, <laughs> terrible with money. We also had a big family. We had, there were five kids and uh, um, I mean, we oh, ate wow. and we had a house, you know, a roof over our head, but uh you know, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Tennessee. I grew up in Clarksville, Tennessee, a very small town at the oh. time. Um, oh. It's much bigger now. They have more that. than one high school, but uh, <laughs> I grew up in a very small town. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think when you grow up in the U.S., growing up white, um, I think you don't realize all of the uh, benefits that are just afforded to you automatically. Um, takes a while to mm-hmm. go. Oh, we are not all starting at the same starting line. Um, so, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and even though my parents weren't wealthy, uh, I think being white goes a long way um, or did go a long way, uh, probably still does. Sure. Um, but at least I'm now aware, <laughs> <laughs> I'm at least aware of my privilege right. and I can like own that and know that I have benefited from a system that. I think uh, that should be a, that should be a title of your book. <laughs> Awareness of my white privilege. Awareness of my white, white privilege. privilege. Awareness. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, absolutely. no, white privilege awareness. Absolutely. Something so like that. I've been fortunate, but I think I went into accounting because I didn't want to be broke and I wanted to learn to manage money because I didn't have anybody teaching me. Um, and I, I got into that so that I, yeah, I could learn more about it. Well, with accounting, I mean, you're always going to have a job. Right? Always going to have a job. I mean, People, people always need accountants regardless. So you still got to count the losses. <laughs> right. Well, it's funny because comics, you know, when this pandemic happened, we didn't have any job security at all. Right. 
straight sad time. It still is. It I is. mean, we'll see what happens with this lockdown, but God almighty, I can't tell you like trying to navigate as a stand up. Co- and by the way, speaking of money, like I, after I had my run, you know, 15 or 20 year run in, in Hollywood, <clears throat> I, uh, I moved to Asia for two years yeah. and lived in uh, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And I was, a talent buyer producing comedy shows and performing around Asia. And it was fun. I made some great friends, some great contacts, wrote some great content. Um, but then I pivoted back to the States right before the pandemic. Ah. And I had probably gigs booked up until just last month, until November. And they all got clobbered and yeah. kiboshed. And unfortunately... You know, I'm one of those comics who, you know, at this time in my life, you know, was going through transition from Asia back to the States. And I wasn't making that much money back in Asia. So I didn't have a big cushion of savings if you catch my drift. Yeah. And so between that, between that and like residual checks and trying to do these little online Zoom comedy shows here and there, it's been very, very scarce financially and scared financially. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so the idea is kind of like, all right, everyone's backs are put up against the wall. What do you do? And so I, I thought, you know, let's think outside of the box. You know, you went, you went back to the mogul, mm-hmm. uh, to go back to your mogul, um, reference. I, I, you know, I said, Hey, let's do an outdoor comedy show. Let's find a place. And I had, you know, three or four failed attempts, um, and people like venue owners and just rotten people really just kind of trying to screw over <clears throat> any deals we were putting together. And I finally landed in this compound in Venice Beach where we do door distance 50 seats maximum. It's, it's in this house that Harris, a compound in fact, that mm-hmm. Harrison Ford's kids used to live in. Oh, cool. Apparently they kind of like, I don't know, ran into the ground a little bit, and then buddy bought it, who's an architect. Long story short, we started doing comedy shows in there about two months ago. Oh, cool. And it took off. So, you know, there's a glimmer of, you know, we had Bill Burr come in there three times and cool. run his hour of material, and we have Eliza Schlesinger. Great. You know, booked to come in there before we you know, took a break and it's just become this cool thing. You should definitely come when we start it back up. We just Sounds good. took a break because the holidays and the lock and the lockdown. But my point is a lot of comics during this pandemic couldn't get out of bed. They were just depressed. They were kind of sulking around waiting for the phone to ring, waiting for the stimulus check to come, waiting for the vaccine to arrive. And it's like, you have to get up and make those phone calls and send those emails or show up at the place and check out the venue or talk to, you know, and again, going back to the producer side of me, yeah. I started like scrambling, like I got to make something happen. I'm going to fucking sink, you know, sink or swim. So that's Hollywood. I started you... swimming and that's, that's kind of, yeah, that's where I'm at now. Well, let me ask you this. I know we're getting towards the end here. I have a question. Um, you don't have to share, but it, I think it's, it's, I, I like asking this question. Um, do you have an embarrassing money moment that you can share? Like one moment where you're like, ah. Um, an embarrassing money moment. 
I'm sure there's a thousand of them. Let me think of the most. Like being in a situation where, like, yeah, like where you go somewhere, maybe you buy everybody dinner and the credit card gets declined, or oh yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, I do. Yes, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you because I just had a conversation with them about it recently, <laughs> and uh, you and I think you know who it is. You know Adam Hunter. Yep. Wait, you just froze. Do you, you know, you know, you're the comedian. Yeah. Oh, hello, test, test. Can you? Yep, there we go. Okay. Do you know Adam Hunter, the comedian? Uh huh. Yeah. Okay, Adam and I went out with a, like a big group of girls one night uh, down to Koreatown in okay. L.A. to do late, late night karaoke. Okay. So they give you these little rooms. I don't know if you've ever been there, but there's like a room that seats like 10 people. They bring out like peanuts and popcorn and they serve you like Coors Light. And you just crush like fucking Motley Crue and Prince and Michael's like... Karaoke, nobody can sing. This is bad. But anyway, we were having a blast. And the bill came and it was like, I don't know, like 200 bucks or 250 bucks. And my car didn't work. Uh. And, um, and I was like, fuck. And I looked over at Adam and I was like, bro, my car uh, won't work. I said, can you cover this and I'll, I'll get you back. And he's like, didn't even bat an eyelash. Oh, yeah, no problem. Sure, he pulled out some money, paid the bill. He didn't even, you know, balk about it. Didn't ever, he never came back and asked for it, nothing. Over the course of, like, the next year, <clears throat> I was getting, like, offered gigs that I couldn't take. So I would say, hey, let me recommend this comic who's really funny, Adam Hunter. So over the course of the that following year, Adam Hunter ended up getting like probably a thousand dollars worth of gigs from me. Sweet. When I saw him, <clears throat> yeah, when I saw him recently, he goes, he goes, you know, I'll never forget that night. That night we all went karaoke, and um, and you didn't have the money to pay for the bill, and so I covered it, and, and it was like two hundred some bucks, and I was like, oh, I know, man, you know, sorry about that. Thanks for. He's like, yeah, yeah, but it's cool. He's like. He goes, you never paid me the money back, but you got me enough gigs for that year that it, it, it sort of balanced out. <laughs> he, he was like, he's like, you got me so many gigs on that. I can't even, he's like, that's consider that commission. Like, it was like that kind of thing. Uh, so anyway, he was cool and like whatever about it. But I mean, I can't really think of any, there've been times when I like borrowed money. There were times when I, you know, wasn't paid yeah, there were a few gigs in the Middle East. I went to the Middle East quite a bit from 2005, but there was a good like four years where we were going a lot, and you know we would get burned. I, I got burned tens of thousands of dollars from from promoters, and what are you going to do? Try to sue a British promoter who lives in Saudi Arabia? Yeah. All right. Good luck. You know. So you just, sometimes you take you take it on the chin a little bit. I've been a little bit more uh, transparent with if I do a gig like that, like I'll re- require all the money up front, yeah, you know, or deposit, and then the rest before I go on stage, that kind of thing. Yeah, and look, all you can do is uh, keep moving forward, and uh, in the case with Adam, pay it forward, <laughs> and and just keep moving. Hollywood's a moving target. Yeah. <laughs> It really is, man. 
It but is. I think, but I think that people are starting to pivot out of here and move to other like, cities and states. And I feel like there's a bit of an exodus happening, especially with the homeless yeah. you know, population. Pop, you know, like it's going through the roof. It is. And, and when I say homeless, you know, and God bless them, I, I'm, I'm not making fun of them, but I've seen some of these homeless people camped out on the side of this. It's, it's like, it looks like they just became homeless. Yeah. It wasn't like they've been sitting, they've been out there for a few years. Yeah. <clears throat> they've got, you know, nice setup, big fucking tent from, you know, whatever. Big five. Sporting goods store. <laughs> yeah. Big five fire pit. Yeah. There's a guy who lives around the corner. Not well. Yeah. Yes. He's camping. He's got a Mercedes uh, sprinter parked right on the street. You can park there for a whole week because yeah. it's just no parking on Wednesdays or whatever. Yeah. And he had a fire pit and a, and a whole setup, a couch out there on the sidewalk, like pulled out a couch. He, had, he was sitting there with a girl the other night, like on a date. Well, they- I'm like, it's fucking homo. Hey, man, you <laughs> got to work it. On a date. You got to work every angle. You got to work every angle. It's like, it's like te- he's teaching CrossFit to the other homeless people. Like he's making money on the streets. Bro. That's right. He's probably doing a $2 membership, all that stuff. He's, he's, dialing it in it's it's awesome it's crazy but uh but yeah but but la la has become a place for me that you know when we get into january february and um we'll see what happens with this venice comedy compound thing that i'm doing awesome and if if it ends up being like a, a thing that keeps me here then i'll stay but um i'm also looking to move and pivot out of la again yeah whether it's you know in the United States, but in a different state, or going back to Asia, which I'll probably eventually do at some point. I really loved Asia, and no, that's- I love you know the hospitality and the, the culture and the, the food. And Asia is. Uh, have you been to Asia ever? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's great. Yeah. What what which countries? Uh, well, I've been to the Philippines. I've been to um, Thailand. I've been mm-hmm. to China, and China. China. So, China. yeah, it's all good. Yeah. They're all different, yeah. but great. Um, I've been to India, um, Nepal, um, a lot of places. It's fun. Well, even if you're not in LA, even if you're not in Venice and you're moving around, where can people find you now on social media? Where can people find you online? Uh, I'm pretty active on Instagram okay. for the most part. <clears throat> it's um, at Ahmed Comedy, A H M E D Comedy, at Ahmed Comedy. Um, Facebook, I don't really do anything on Twitter, the same at Ahmed comedy, um, YouTube, you can just type in my name on YouTube. I'm at Ahmed comedian and a bunch of clips will pop up. Um, that's it for now, man. We're just waiting to write out 2020 and, and see what 2021, you know, has in store for us. Hey, hopefully not another pandemic. I I hope not. I think a double would be a, a little sucky. Let's uh, let's just keep it to one every hundred years. <laughs> That's I just thought it was I thought it was funny. Like you know, during like we had a pandemic, we had political upheaval, racism, riots, George Floyd, uh, you know, Donald. Trump. It's it's like everything was going crazy at once, and then Elon Musk decided to you know shoot a spaceship up in the, the fucking sky like like Tuesday at noon or some shit. Yeah, and I was just like. Every day this year, it's something. It's always something. It's something. He's just looking for a new neighborhood to live in. That's all. 
He's trying to get out of LA. That's right. <laughs> like the rest That's of right. us. Well, That's I, right. listen, it's been great having you. I just want to say to our guests real quick, don't forget to share the love. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search for Money You Should Ask. All one word. You can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite co- podcast player. And if you prefer to watch our episodes, you can head over to YouTube and subscribe to our channel. Ahmed, Ahmed, it's been so good catching up and thank you for sharing and I wish you much success and hopefully this is the last pandemic uh, for a while. (laughs) Thanks, man. I hope so and uh, I appreciate you having me on your your show and uh, let's catch up soon outside of here. Beautiful. 